This morning we're in Genesis chapter 32, continuing our trek through the book of Genesis. We, uh, we left last week uh, with Jacob and Esau, and uh, God uh, introduced us to uh, these two brothers, sons of Isaac, and uh, we looked at their, their beginnings. And now we're going to look at the rest of Jacob's life, or a moment in Jacob's life at least. I think it's probably one of the most significant chapters in the Bible, uh, in which God is chiseling away at the life and the man of Jacob, who would become the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so we're going to read a little portion of his life here. I'm going to begin in verse 22. So Genesis chapter 32, and I'm going to begin, begin in verse 22 uh, through verse 31. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that, they, that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you asked my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen the face. I've seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Father, we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit today. Uh, God, we need you to open our eyes to see your glory. Uh, You're the glorious God who satisfies our every need, who is our supply. Lord, whom we need more than anything else in life. And so, Lord, I pray that your spirit would teach us, that you would instruct us, that you would open our eyes to your word, and that you would use the word to chisel away at our lives, that we might become more like you. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thus far in Jacob's life, we've seen a couple different things. We've seen, number one, that the the redeeming quality of this guy, uh, the the good quality, I guess you might say, is that Jacob knows what is truly valuable in life, and he pursues it with relentless abandon. Okay? So that's Jacob. We saw that last week with Jacob and Esau. We saw that Esau was a guy that didn't regard spiritual things. He didn't value the blessing of God or the promises of God. And, and Jacob did. Jacob, Jacob saw them, wanted them, pursued them. But we've also seen about Jacob is that he doesn't always go about pursuing the things of God in a godly way. Okay? So he knows what's valuable. He knows what he wants in life. But he doesn't always go about that in a way of integrity. And some examples of that, of course, last week, he tricks his brother Esau out of the birthright. Okay? Uh, he does that through kind of deception and trickery and manipulation and scheming. And, and he does it. I mean, it's all done right there before everybody. But, but it, it's just not a very honorable way for him to live. The next story is even worse. And we didn't look at this one. But it's the story of, of when Isaac is an old man and he's gone blind. You know, you know when you're really a schemer is when you, when you trick blind old men. Okay? And, and that's, that's exactly what Jacob does. 
He knows his dad is, is blind and he's, his hearing isn't real good and, and he can't, he's pretty old and he's weak. And so he comes to him and he pretends to be Esau. He puts on Esau's clothes. He puts on some uh, garments on his, on his skin so that when his dad grabs his arm, he feels hair and not smooth skin. So he thinks it's Esau and not Jacob. And then he, he deceives his dad into giving him the blessing uh, instead of Esau. And so his dad thinks it's Esau, it's really Jacob. And so, so he wins the blessing by trickery. And then he, he's got to flee from there because... Esau wants his life, and so he flees to Laban. He stays there for about 20 years, gets a little bit of taste of his own medicine. Uh, Laban, Laban does some deceiving on him and, and, and does some trickery there, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But, but he, he, Jacob does the same thing. You know, he kind of uh, swindles uh, uh, his, his uncle out of a bunch of, of wealth. We see later on that it's actually God's providence working in, 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 in making J- Jacob very wealthy. And, and then he has to flee from Laban, and, and he kind of gets that done. God protects him, and now he's at a critical point in his life. Uh, and that critical point in his life is he's going back to the promised land. And in this chapter, God does some real shaping on, on Esau's life. He, he does some real shaping, trying to make him into a man who trusts God and, and doesn't scheme, a man who trusts God and doesn't use guilt or manipulation or deception or, or trickery uh, to, to get the things in life that he needs, but rather a man who looks to God for those things. And so, so God begins to shape Jacob in, the, in this chapter into the man that he needs to be. So Jacob is heading back to Canaan and, and because God has commanded him to go there. And, and he knows, though, that somebody else is back at Canaan, and that's Esau, okay? And you remember the last time that he and Esau had, had words, it was basically, as soon as the mourning and funeral's done for dad, I'm killing you, okay? And so uh, he's fled, and so this is 20 years later, he's coming back, and so he's a little nervous about this, and so he goes ahead and sends some messengers ahead, okay? Sends some messengers kind of to feel out the waters. Basically, hey, go talk to Esau, tell him I'm coming, tell him, you know, where I've been, what I've been doing, and kind of let's just feel this guy out a little bit, okay? Well, the messengers come back, and here's the message that he gets from them, verse 6, and the messengers return to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and there are 400 men with him. Okay. Now the first part's pretty good. He's coming to meet you. You know, you might think, well, hey, you know, I mean, could be bad. Could be he's coming to punch you out, coming to slit your throat. You know, but but you can interpret it as he's coming. He's happy to see you. Okay. But when you add, he's coming with four hundred guys. That usually doesn't mean good things, does it? Right. That that usually doesn't mean, uh, hey, he's coming to to have Thanksgiving and Christmas and we'll have holidays together. Uh, this this seems to be a bad sign for Jacob. And so Jacob does what he hasn't done his whole life. At least we don't read about him doing it anyway. Jacob goes to God in prayer. So he's got this obstacle, okay? Esau's coming, 400 guys. Wow, he's afraid. He knows he's in trouble. And so instead of deceiving and trickery, Jacob does what he ought to do. And that's it. He goes to God in prayer. And it's actually a really good prayer. Look at it in verse 9 of chapter 32. Let's point out some, some uh, distinctives of this prayer. In verse 9, he says, And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac. I want to stop right there, and maybe, maybe you'll think this is not real significant, but I, I just think it's, it's, it's good to, to, to look at the Bible and see how people prayed in the Bible. And this is pretty consistent with all the prayers in the Bible, that you begin your prayers talking to God, okay? Talking to, identifying the attributes and characteristics of God. If you remember when Jesus taught us to pray in the New Testament, how did he begin the prayer? He said, I want you to pray this way. 
our Father who aren't in heaven. Now, now why, why, why pray our Father who aren't in heaven? Is it because if we don't identify who we're praying to, that somebody else might get the prayer? You know, it's like if you don't put your address right on the, on the mail, you know, the letter goes to the wrong place. It's not that. It's simply for our benefit that we, that we remember who we're talking to, that we remember the attributes of God, that we remember what kind of God we're, we're, we're speaking to and what kind of God we're coming before. And this is real consistent throughout the New Testament. If we look at the way that Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, this 17, this is just an example. Paul prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. And then he goes on with his request. So the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. If we go into Nehemiah, Nehemiah was a great intercessor. And he begins his prayer in chapter 1, verse 5, this way. He says, And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. And so, so lots of different ways that the New Testament and Old Testament writers started their prayer. But they almost always started describing the attributes of God. So instead of just coming to God, God, I need this, I need this. Coming to God and say, okay, God, this is who you are. You're our Father in heaven. We're supposed to see you as a Father. We're supposed to see you as the God of glory. We're supposed to see you as the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac, the God who made these incredible promises, the God who revealed himself in this way. And so Jacob begins his prayer identifying the characteristics and the attributes of God. And then he does this, and I think this is significant. He acknowledges God's command to him and that he's obeying that command. Notice in verse 9, at the end of verse 9, he says, Who said to me, he says, You're the God who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. If we look back in Genesis 31, 13, God commands Jacob to go back to the promised land. Okay? That's why he's going back. That's why he's going to face Esau. is because God has told him to go back there. Now, now, why would Jacob include this in his prayer? Well, I think it's an important thing that we be obeying and following God as we pray. pray. Now, it's always right to pray, okay? Don't, don't get me wrong. To, you can't pray unless you're... Per- no, I mean, with any circumstance in your life, any day in your life, it's always right for you to pray. But it's also true that powerful, effective prayer is accompanied by obedience, Okay? So basically what he's saying is, okay, God, I'm about to face my brother. I'm about to face this scary situation. I'm about to be put in this difficult place in my life because I'm obeying you. Because I obeyed your command to come here. You you see, it would be very different if if Jacob uh, would have heard the command of God. And God would tell him, go back to the promised land. That's where you need to be. That's where the promises are. If you're going to inherit the promises of Abraham and Isaac, you need to go to the promised land. And if Jacob would have said, no, 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 not going back there, God. You know, my brother, he's really angry and he's mean and he's a good shot. He's a hunter and I'm not going back there. I'm going to stay here where it's safe. And then let's just say that Jacob had some struggles with his neighbors or struggles with his family, which was very common. You know why it was common? Because Jacob had two wives. Never a good idea, folks. Here's just a little practical wisdom from Jacob's life. A couple stories we haven't talked about, but I'll, I'll just give them to you real quick. Number one, whenever you get married, lift the veil. Make sure it's the right gal, okay? Because Jacob did not do that, and it went really badly for him, okay? So number one, make sure you're marrying the right gal. And number two, don't, don't have two wives, okay? It just, just, it just doesn't work well. So, so let's say anyway, okay, go back to my story. So let's say God told him to go to the promised land. He said, no, I'm not going to go. I'm scared of Esau. I'm going to stay right here. And then he starts having problems in his family, and he starts praying, God, you know, help me with my neighbor and help me with my family. You know, it's inconsistent, isn't it, to pray, God, help me when you're not doing what God wants you to do. Let me give you some practical examples maybe that you might deal with. Let's say that you want to pray uh, for your marriage or for your family. But let's say at the same time 
that, that you're bitter against your wife or you're angry or you're unforgiving in your family. And, and so you come to God and you're like, God, I want you to help me with my family, but, but Lord, I'm not changing this and I'm not forgiven and I'm, I'm not going to make any steps of reconciliation. You know what? That hinders your prayer, doesn't it? I mean, isn't it much better to be able to say, okay, God, things are tough, but you know what, God, I'm trying to love my wife as Christ loved the church. And, and Lord, I'm going to ask her out on a date and Lord, I'm going to apologize for the things I said. And so Lord, I ask for your help. Okay. That's a prayer that God will answer, right? Because you're saying, God, I'm going your direction. I'm, I'm following you. Okay, I'm, I'm trying to be obedient to you. Let's say you want to pray about your finances, okay? You want to be able to pray, God, I, I'm trying to be obedient. I'm trying to be a good steward. I'm trying to give. Lord, I'm trying to follow your commands in the Bible. I'm trying to, trying to treat money as you would have me treat it, not going to foolish debt. And so, Lord, we're in a really tough spot here. Please provide for us. That's a prayer that I think God's going to answer. You, you, you're in fellowship with God. That's a much better prayer than saying, God, I lost our rent money in the poker game last night. And, Lord, I'm going back there tonight. Please help me to win it, okay? That's a prayer that probably, you know, is, is, is there's some hindrance between you and God. Why? Because God has said, go in a direction. And you're not going there, right? And so, so Jacob prays. And when he prays, he says, God, you know, I'm, I'm going in the direction you told me to go. I'm doing the things you told me to do. Please give me help. In verse 10, Jacob says, uh, describes who he is. Okay, so verse 9, he starts off the prayer talking about who God is. In verse 10, he says, I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and of all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed this Jordan, and now I've become two camps. Whenever people have a difficult time praying, there's a lot of folks that come in my office, I just don't know if I can pray out loud, and I struggle to pray out loud. You know, I always tell them, look, there's, there, you, you can't pray wrongly, okay? What I mean by that is that, that you don't have to use the right words, and you don't have to, you know, pray something that sounds like a poem. Uh, you don't have to use King James English, you know. God just wants you to talk to him. But actually, there are wrong ways to pray. And, and one wrong way to pray would be to pray pridefully, you know. One wrong way would be to come and say, God, you owe me, you know. By golly, you better give me this. And if you don't give me this, you know. Okay, that's not a good way to pray. And, and Jacob prays rightly, and then he comes with humility. He comes acknowledging, God, everything I have is from you. Everything, everything I've got that's good in my life, you've given to me. You've already blessed me. You've already been good to me. God, you're steady. Fast love has been incredible. And so he comes with a humble mind. You know, the Bible tells us that even when we pray about, about things that we're anxious over, we ought to pray with thanksgiving. Did you know that? Philippians chapter 4 tells us, uh, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer, through supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And, and so we should always come to God with a humble heart. Always come to God with a heart that says, God, thank you for who you are, for what you've already done in my life. You've been gracious. You've been good. You've been merciful. And I want to come with a heart of thanksgiving. So, so Jacob comes humbly. Verse 11, he offers his request. He says, please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him. He's honest. He says, God, I'm scared here. I'm scared for my life. I'm scared for my family. I want you to deliver me. And then in verse 12, he does something that is incredibly significant, okay? When you look at all the great intercessors in the Bible, Moses, Daniel, Nehemiah, Jesus, Paul, they all do a similar thing, okay? In their prayers, they grab on to the promises of God. They grab on to the things that God has already said, I want to give you. Okay? And Jacob does that in verse 12. He says, But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And so when Jacob comes to pray, he says, Okay, God, I'm praying for deliverance from my brother Esau because God, you said... You said you would do me good. You said you would bless our family. You said you would make our descendants as many 
as, as, as the, the, the sand of the sea or the stars of the heavens. And, and so he's grabbing on to the promises of God. You know, have you ever heard anybody pray? And I'm sure you have if you've been here at Lincoln very long. Have you ever heard anybody pray uh, in Jesus' name? You know, they'll pray the request and then at the end they say, in Jesus' name. You know what that means? In the Bible, your name was your character, okay? We know that about Jacob. What's his name? His name is Jacob. What does it mean? It means one who grasps at the heel, one who, who, who's, who's trying to get ahead, one who's using trickery and deceit to try to get ahead, okay? So, so, so your name was indicative of who you are. And so when it says pray in Jesus' name, what it's telling us to do there is to pray according to Jesus' character, according to who he is. Ask for things that God wants to give you. Ask for things that God has already said said he wants to be in your life those are powerful prayers folks when you sit down to pray and you think about your prayer life list or maybe you got it on your phone or maybe you've got it in a notebook you need to make sure you're also praying for things that god's already said i want you to have two two big reasons for that number one those are the best things in life now how do i know that well matthew chapter 7 Verse 7, okay? How do we know that, that praying for the things God wants us to have are the things that we really need? Because God knows what we really need, okay, friends? You know, we, we all have desires of our heart. We all have things that we think are real pressing in our life. But listen to what the Bible says about, about God, about Christ. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Matthew chapter 7, verse 8. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks will be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for, a, for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Listen, there's a lot of dads in this room here today. And, and when your kids want something to eat, you probably don't throw a rock at them, okay? You know why? Because you're not a bad guy, you know? I mean, you've got enough sense to know when, when your kids want something to eat and mom's not around, don't try to cook. Go to McDonald's or go to Taco Mob, but Get them some bread, man. Get them some fish. Get them something to eat, okay? You may not be a perfect dad, but you, you at least get that right, right? Okay? But listen what Jesus goes on to say. If you then be who are evil, in other words, we know that you dads, you can get it right when your sons, when your daughters ask for food, you, you, you get them, you provide for them, but you're evil, you're sinful, you're broken. How, how, how much more, this is verse 11, how much more will your father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You see, the Bible says that Jesus knows what we need. He knows what we need. How much more does the Father know how to give good things? And so in the Bible, there's all these, these things that God says he wants you to have. Things like holiness and righteousness and a gracious spirit and a loving, uh, to, to love your brother and sister in Christ and Christ in our relationships. There's all these things that the Bible says he wants you to have. Ask for those things. Grab the promises of God. Grab, grab, grab the truths of God. Be hungry for those things. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why, why, why shall they be satisfied? Because they're hungering and they're thirsting and they're craving and they're asking for the right things. And so Jacob, when he prays, he grabs onto the promises of God and he prays the right things. So finally, man, this guy is showing some potential in his life. Amen? Some of you like that? A lot of nothing and then all of a sudden you start to show some potential. Your mom and dad are happy. Amen? Right? This is good. He's starting to show, show some potential. He gets in a pinch. What does he do? He prays. Finally, instead of deceiving and trickery and lying and deceit, he prays and he asks God and he claims the promises of God. And all of that lasts about 20 minutes or so, okay? And then he's back to his old stuff. Notice this, in verse 13, he wakes up, he stays the night there, he wakes up in the morning. And what's he do? Well, he, he, he devises a plan, okay? And here's the plan. 
the plan is twofold. Number one, he's going to try to wear Esau down with kindness, okay? He's going to try to buy him off. And so, so he starts sending gifts, okay? And he sends them, and she doesn't send them at all at once. He wants to make a bigger impact. So he sends them in small, small packages, all right? First, there's like 20, 20 rams and 20 ewes and, and 20 donkeys and 20, you know, camels. I think there's like 200 animals by the, the, by the end of it, you know, going in these small groups, all, this is from our brother Jacob, this is from your brother Jacob, this is from your brother Jacob. Now, this is not unwise, Okay, in fact, I did this one time to get back into the house with my wife, you know, she was angry with me and I'd done something and, and actually I didn't do something I was supposed to do. And so I, I would send gifts to the front porch and I'd ring the doorbell, you know, one after the other, you know, and, uh, and so it's not unwise to do that, but do you see where he's going, man, he's not dependent on God. I mean, he, he prays to God, I want you to do this. You got to deliver me. I'm going to depend on you for it. And then he goes right back to these schemes. Okay. The second part of his plan is kind of even worse. Okay. Here it is. He's thinking, okay, there's a lot of us, and Esau can't attack us all at once. So you know what he does? He puts the servants first. Makes sense, right? And then Leah, that's the wife that he's not so crazy about. He puts her next, you know, and her kids after her. And then Rachel, he's the wife she li- he likes, you know. He's, he's the one that he worked seven years for. Puts her last, and then her kids last, and then him. Great guy, huh? So he's thinking, well, if they attack, I'll be able to run. You know, I'll, t- I'll take, I'll take the, the pretty wife and, and, and the kids I like, you know, and we'll run, you know, and we'll get away. And maybe, maybe half of us will get away or whatever. But, but that's his plan. So, so he's scheming and he's planning. And he, he's back to the old elaborate, you know, uh, schemes that, that, that have been indicative of his life. Now, what do we say about this, first of all? Let me just stop right there. And Okay, does this mean that Jacob is just the whole prayer was just nothing but a sham and that he's not really, you know, trying to follow God? I don't think we want to say that. I don't think we want to say that today. I don't think that's true. I don't think it's biblical. But I don't think we want to say it, especially because, you know what? Some of us act exactly the same way, don't we? How many of you have done this? God, I got this huge thing in my life, and I'm going to give it to you. Lord, I'm just trusting you. I'm trusting you to, to take care of it. And, Lord, here's your promises. And, 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 Lord, I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to leave it to you, Lord. And as you say amen... There's about a 10-second reprieve, and then all of a sudden, what's your mind start doing? You, your mind starts rolling. Well, if I do this, and if I do that, and, you know, if I say this, and if I don't say that, and if he doesn't know this, then maybe I can go here, and maybe we can make this work this way, and, and if I call so-and-so and have them say this, and if I, right, and you start running all these things, what have you done? You just took it back, you know? It's exactly what Jacob did. He gave it to the Lord, and then he takes it right back, and he, and he tries to make all these plans about how he's going to make it work. Okay? And so he's back to the old ways. Well, what happens is he goes through that. He goes, puts his plan in action. And then the night comes again and, and he's asleep. And then he wakes his kids up. I'm sure his, his, his family loved this. But in verse 22, it says, The same night he arose and he took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. Okay? Here's the way I kind of picture it happening. You know, they're all asleep. And he's got a bunch of kids, so they're asleep. You know, and he wakes them up. He's like, no, nah, I'm not happy with where we're at here. Let's go across the stream. So he drags them all across the stream. You know, and then has the, the ladies put them back to bed again. I mean, I just, I'm just... Uh, that's not impressive to you, is it? I'm just thinking my wife would kill me. You know, we, we got them all to sleep and then, you, you know, you go across. Anyway, that's what he does. And then there's a significant thing here. Verse 24, it says, and Jacob was left alone. 
Now, I think it's significant that it tells us that, first of all, because of what's about to happen, okay? God's, God's going to reveal himself to Jacob. God's going to wrestle with him all night long, okay? And we know the rest of the story. But I think it's also significant that as you look at, at the great men of God in the Bible, almost all of them had close experiences with God, close revelations of God when they were alone. I think that's something to think about, folks. You know why? Because we live in a world where we're not alone very often, okay? Now, let me clarify that. There are people that are alone with their TV a lot. And there's people that are alone with their computer a lot. I happen to think those are really bad decisions, okay? Uh, if you're going to watch TV, you probably shouldn't do it alone. If you're going to be on the computer, you probably shouldn't do it alone, okay? Those, those are dangerous things to do alone. We probably shouldn't be alone there. But you know what we should be alone? We should be alone with God. We should build a habit into our lives that we get away, okay? When I was in Kansas City, it was a little hilltop that I would climb up on. It was in the city, but I could, I could be alone. I was in the middle of Metro Kansas City, but I could kind of be alone. You know, maybe it's Experiment Lake. Maybe it's Fort Supply. Maybe it's a walking trail. Maybe it's walking around your neighborhood. Maybe it's getting in your car and going for a drive. Maybe, maybe it's your closet. Maybe it's somewhere in the house that everybody else isn't. But you need to find and work times in your life where you can be alone so that God can chisel away at you. So finally, Jacob gets alone, okay? Now, I can imagine, you know, I got one wife, five kids. Can you imagine two wives, 11 kids, 12 kids? I mean, that, that's really hard to be alone, probably, you know, for him. Maybe that's why he sends them all across the stream. I don't know. But he, but he sends them across there, and finally, he's alone. And as he's alone, God appears to him. God meets him in the form of a man in a wrestling match. Now, I don't believe that Jacob knew that it was God right away. I can't prove that to you, but it doesn't seem like he knows it's God until until God puts his hip out of joint. Uh, but then we're sure that it is God. It is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Look at verse 28. He says, then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God. You have striven with God. And then in verse 30, it says, so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and my life has been delivered. And so this is the pre-incarnate Christ coming down to wrestle with Jacob. Okay, now I wish I knew how this happened. We don't have any other circumstances. I don't know if he was like looking at the stars saying, okay, God, you promised that our descendants would be, boom, you know, someone hits him. I, I don't know if, if it's like that or, you know, if he sees someone coming in the dark and he's like, who's there? And there's no answer. And they, you know, they engage in this wrestling match. I don't know if there's conversation. I don't know if he got hit from behind. I don't know what happened, but, 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 but he, but he wrestles with this guy all night long. Now, now, now let me, let me point out before I get too far, there's several things I, I got to say today, but this is one of them because I just got to, I got to, I got to, I gotta, I gotta help our dads out. Okay. I remember my dad took a lot of heat when I was little because we would wrestle and someone would always get hurt. And I know I've taken a lot of heat, you know, from my family that we wrestle and someone gets hurt. I just want to point out right here in the Holy word of God, Genesis chapter 32, when Jesus Christ, the glorious King of Kings wrestles, somebody gets hurt. Okay. So I I don't think that we ought to be picked on so Okay, anyway, that has no spiritual application. I just think it's true, and I want to point it out, okay? All right, so here's the interesting thing to me. Here's what I want you to dwell on a little bit, all right? Jacob prays for God's help. Jacob prays for God's intervention. True? He's in a tough spot. He's afraid. He's got a problem. He's got an obstacle. And Jacob prays for God to help. You know what God does? God comes and God wrestles with him to the point of exhaustion and then puts his hip out of joint for the rest of his life. 
Is that the way you want God to answer your prayers? Not really. Think about that. Isn't that significant? Why, why wrestling? Why, why, does, why does God wrestle? Why, why this personal hand-to-hand combat? Why this physically exhausting? If ever you've wrestled before, you know, I mean, it's physically exhausting. Two minutes and, you know, everybody's throwing up their turkey, you know, because it, it, it's just, if you ever do that at Christmas or thinking, man, it's just, it's just all that and it's tiring. You know, why, why wrestling? Why does God answer Jacob in this way? Why, when Jacob finally comes and says, God, I need your help. Why does God come down and exhaust him in hand-to-hand combat to the point where he puts his hip out so that he walks with a limp forever? Why would God do that? Why would God answer the prayer in that way? You think about that, and I'm going to keep talking, okay? I think I have the answer, but you just keep thinking about it, all right? Let me, let me give you some, some things that I think are significant here, Okay? The biggest battle, the biggest struggle in Jacob's life is not with Esau. And it's not with Laban. And it's not with his family. And it's not being the second born instead of the first born. It's not all these things that he has attacked all of his life. The biggest struggle in Jacob's life is his spiritual struggle. Isn't that true? And there's so many times where we get that mixed up. You and I, we begin to think, the biggest thing in my life is, is this illness or cancer or heart disease. Or the biggest thing in my life is, is my financial situation or my, 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 my horrible job or, or my messed up dysfunctional family. Or th- this is the biggest struggle in my life. And we focus on it. And we pour all of our energy and we let our minds spin. And we devise all kinds of schemes and ways to try to fix this deal. And I think what God is showing him here is the biggest struggle in your life is not with those things. It's with me. You got to be right with me, Jacob. You got to stop doing stuff on your own. You got to stop living by the flesh. You got to start trusting me. The biggest struggle in his life is with God. That's the biggest battle that he's facing. Many of you, you might say, you know, no, Pastor, the biggest struggle in my life is depression. Or no, Pastor, the biggest struggle in my life is, is my family situation or my, my, my whatever. I don't believe that. I believe the biggest struggle, the thing you've got to get worked out, the thing you've got to grapple with, the thing you've got you to resolve in your life is where you stand with God. It, it's not living by your sinful flesh. It's living by faith. And what I want you to see here is that Jacob wrestles all night. He employs all of his strength and all of his stamina and all of his skill and all of his scheming. And, and he can't get anywhere. You know, I mean, I mean, I think it's cool that God just, just, just stays right even with him. You know, I mean, God could have crushed him, you know, in the first second, you know, or God could have let him win. God didn't do either of those. God just stays even so that, that he's just trying and trying and trying in every move and every muscle and everything. He, that's just Jacob. You know, he just wrestles and wrestles and wrestles and wrestles. And God just lets him do that until he's absolutely exhausted. And then God puts him down, you know. I mean, wow. It's almost akin to what God does for Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Remember that? Here's Paul, man. He's, he's a man of faith. He's a man of of of, of, of of godliness, but yet he's got this issue in his life. It's pride. So what does God do? God gives him a thorn in the flesh. God gives him a difficult thing in his life that's not going away. The Bible says he pleads, God, take it away, take it away, take it away. God, I can't, I can't live the Christian life with this thing in my life. I can't, I can't read my Bible. I can't pray. I can't go to church. I, I can't, God, you got to take this away. And God says, I'm not taking it away, Paul. You need it. 
You need to be weak, Paul, so that you can really be strong. That's what he found out. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul was given a thorn. Jacob was given a limp. The guy would limp for the rest of his life because of that wrestling match with God. You know, it's significant, I think, of what God does there. Because just think about the plan. You know, I'm just thinking in my mind the plan. What's the plan? Jacob's plan? We put, put all these other people in front of me. If Esau attacks, what's going to happen? We get away. How do you get away? Quickly, right? You know, you grab Rachel. You know, you grab Joseph and Benjamin and you run, okay? Not anymore, you don't. You drag, you know. You're not going anywhere fast now. I mean, God, God hinders his ability to do the plan, you know? I mean, has it ever happened to you? You know, you got this whole thing worked out in your mind? God says, nope, you're not going to do it. Like, why, God? Why? Wrestles all night and then puts his hip out. And then we see the good quality of Jacob come out, okay? Here it is. I think, I think if you take Jacob's whole life, I think this one sentence is the best thing that could be said about his life, okay? Here's what he does. This is in verse 26 of chapter 32. His, his hip's just been put out of joint. He realizes in that moment that this is not a man, this is God, okay? And he goes from wrestling to clinging, okay? You know, you know what you do when you cling, right? I, I've got a three-year-old that clings, you know. Whenever she gets tired, you know, hold me, hold me. I, I won't be with you. I'll sit on your lap. I want you to hold me. I want you to take me to, I mean, just, I, I want you, you know. Don't let, you know, I'm going to hold, it's that, it's that kind of deal. That's, that's what he's doing. He goes from wrestling to, no, I, I, I want to be with you. I want to stay with you. I want you to bless me. And, and here's what he says in verse 26. Then he said, let me go. For the day is broken. You know, Jesus says, I'm, I'm going. The day's coming up. I'm believing. I'm going back to heaven. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. I love that about Jacob. I love that. I want to be that kind of person who, who clings to God and says, man, I'm not letting go. How do we cling to God? You know, we don't get to wrestle with him like, like Jacob did. How do we cling to God? We cling to him in prayer, don't we? Isn't that the way we cling to him? We, we come to him day and night and say, God, I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to be here tomorrow. God, I'm going to be here tonight. I'm going to be here at noon. And I'm going to ask you and I'm going to ask you and I'm going to ask you. And I'm going to ask you to make me holy. I'm going to ask you to transform me. I'm going to ask you to transform my family. And I'm going to ask you to save my baby. I'm going to ask you and ask you and ask you. I'm going to come to you and you and you. That's how we cling to him. We cling to him in the scriptures. We come back time and time again saying, God, I want to know who you are. I want to know you. I want your word to be in me. I want it to control me. We cling to him in Christ-centered friendships and relationships where we say, I'm going to have these guys in my life and though it's hard and it's difficult and it demands energy and effort god i'm not gonna let go this is good for me i want you there that's how we cling what a tremendous picture of a guy who has who is meeting the the most difficult challenge of his life and god comes and puts an exhausting night of of wrestling and then puts his hip out ruins his plan and you know what he does when he realizes it's God, he says, I won't let you go until you bless me. That is so cool to me because not everybody would do that. You know what? And I, I just know this from my own flesh. Some of us, if we have this hard thing in our life and we ask for God to deal with it and take it away, 
And God doesn't. Instead, he, he makes it hard. And we have this wrestling and exhausting thing. And then we, we, we come out with a limp. You know what a lot of people would do? Instead of clinging to God, they'd push. God, get, get, I'm done. I'm not praying. I'm not reading my Bible. I'm not going to that church and listening to that guy, you know. I'm not going to my small group. I'm, not, I'm just not going to do it. God, I ask you to make this easier. You didn't. You, you make, me, make me struggle. And you're trying to do this stuff in me, and it's hard, and it's painful. And you reveal my weakness. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to cling to you. Man, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that person. I want to say this in my life. I will not let you go unless you bless me. That's what I want to say. I will not let you go. I will not stop praying. I will not stop reading my Bible. I will not stop worshiping. I will not stop being in a small group. I will not stop Christ. I will not let you go unless you bless me. You know what Jesus does? He says in verse 27, what's your name? Does Jesus not know who he's wrestling with? Did he forget? No. What does he want Jacob to do? He wants Jacob to say his name. Why? Because, again, a name was indicative of who you were. What's he want? He wants Jacob to say, I'm a deceiver. I'm a heel grabber. I'm a schemer. And then you know what he says? He says, not anymore. <laughs> Isn't that great? You see, when you wrestle with God and when you cling to him, you come to a point where he changes you. He changes you. That's, that's what he said. Your name shall not be Jacob anymore, but Israel. For you have striven with God and prevailed. That, that's what Israel means. Striven with God. You've wrestled with God and prevailed. You know, aren't, aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that it's not like the Bible where God providentially gives us a name that's like our character? I mean, how would that be? How would you like to come to church and, hey, whiny baby, come on in, you know? And, hey, uh, hey, explosive temper man, come on. Hey, lazy, come here. Yeah, uh, That'd be really bad, wouldn't it, you know? I mean, if, if our names were indicative of our, yeah. But isn't it cool that even though our names don't reflect our character, God still wants to change our character. Amen? He's still going to change us. He wants to give us a new name. He wants to transform us, make us new. But you know what? That only happens as we strive with him, as we wrestle with him, as we cling to him. Amen. I was at Christmas, uh, well, it was... Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursdays when we had our Christmas with my family in Kansas. And uh, my family was big with wrestling. I mean, my, all my brothers wrestled. I wrestled. We, we all went to state. You know, we, that was just a big thing in my, my, my family. My, my next brother, Jeremy, uh, he's bigger than me. He outweighs me by, I don't know, 25, 30 pounds. And he was fourth in the nation in college wrestling. So he's, he's really good. And uh, he grabbed hold of me from the back. We were in the dining, kind of dining area. And threw me to the ground. And there was a day that I would have fought back. but And I'm kind of ashamed of this, but I'll just go ahead and tell you. I just curled up in a little ball, you know. And I've wrestled enough where I know, you know, what to do to kind of just protect my vital organs and my, my neck, you know. And I just curled up in a ball, and he kind of batted me around a while, and he just got, got bored with it. And I think he went on to my dad is what he did, you know. But I wouldn't wrestle, you know. I just, 
It's not worth it. I, I don't want to put out the energy. I'm afraid you'll hurt me. I'm 38. I don't want to go to the ER today. You know, I mean, it's, we've had that happen before at our house. You know, so I just didn't wrestle. I'll wrestle with my dad and I'll wrestle with my, my, my littlest brother, but not, not, not Jeremy. But listen, don't do the same thing with God. Some of you, you beat, meet big challenges in your life. And God really wants to come in and he wants to do some work. He wants, he's going he's gonna to strive with you. He's going to wrestle with you. He, he's going to do some difficult things. And instead of putting out the energy and the effort, instead of digging into the word of God, instead of getting up early and praying, instead of, instead of doing those hard things, you're going to be tempted to curl up in a ball and just say, no, I'm not going to do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Realize that Jesus has everything you need. He has everything you need. If you really believe that, you know what you'll do? You'll do exactly what Jacob did. You will cling to him. You will grab on. And it doesn't matter how exhausted, how difficult the struggle, you're going to grab on. And you're going to say, I'm not letting go until you bless me. Do that. He will. Father, I just thank you for giving us this uh, this picture of how you worked in Jacob's life and how you how you wrestled with him, how you you blessed him and changed his name and changed his character. And and God, we want that process to go on in our life time and time and time and time again. God, I I know this this didn't this didn't make Jacob perfect. You weren't done with him yet. You still did things in his life later on. And God, we know that. That our, our living for you is a process. It's, it's day after day of living by faith. Lord, just give us grace to hold on. Give us grace to seek you. Father, I pray that you'd help us not to be the kind of people who give up. Not to be the kind of people who, who, who won't hold on to you. Father, we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.